Tell your friends. The Mark and Max Show is back and better than ever. Are you ready? LifeRadio.fm. It is the Mark and Max Show. Great to have you with us today. One of the things that Mark and I have talked about a lot on this program and others is uh, the the TV show Big Bang Theory. Mm, yeah, and it's really because the writing on the show is it, it just really well done. They kept yeah. a high level of uh, just so much different. If you can watch that show and then watch another sitcom, okay, right, yeah, just the quality of writing is so much different. Mm. It it's really amazing to to look at. Now, I didn't agree with a lot, a lot of the things on there are not things that a Christian family man is going oh, no. to go. Hey, I want you kids to follow these guys. Oh, you know, no. they, no, no, no. but, but I'll tell you what, what they reflected on there was a lot more about what happens in real life yeah. than what we pretend happens. And many of it, uh, they are Christian. So anyway, Dungeons and Dragons was something that mm. they talked about a lot yeah. on, on that show. Little nerdy I, kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Dungeons and Dragons in the eighties. I never yeah. played it. I have never played it. I don't, I, my understanding of it specifically comes from big bang. I never knew about it. Right. Yeah. And so how Dungeons and Dragons rose in popularity due to a missing teen. Mm, yeah. It was the summer of 1979, a week after the annual, uh, Gen Con, Michigan state university reported that one of their students, a 16 year old Dallas Egbert had gone missing. The last time Egbert was spotted at his dorm was a day before the tabletop game convention began. At the time, Dungeons and Dragons hadn't gone mainstream yet, but it was already being picked up by college gamers as an exciting new favorite. So when investigators found a corkboard with metal tacks in Egbert's room and his mother revealed that her son had recently learned of this new game about dungeons, the police and the media concluded that the board was actually a map to a real dungeon belonging to a secret D&D cult, and that Egbert wow. had left it there so they could find and save him from his evil, this evil cult who, we guess, worships dragons or something. So well, is this the pilot script for a television show, Mark? This is what it sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah. This is an episode of, of Stranger Things. Is oh, what it sounds go, yeah. Like? yeah. Well, Lord knows how many of those people would have suffered strokes if Harry Potter existed oh, back wow. then. Think about it. Well, more specifically, the police stated that the locations of some of the tax on Egbert's board... That was just like a regular bulletin board with no actual map or anything. Oh, no. Just a cork bulletin board. Oh, my God. That's no. There was no map. And they thought it, they yeah, created yeah. something out of the cork board yes, that we did. all have on our room. That's right. Kids. They just, okay. they just thought it would, they thought this, oh, he's leaving his clues. Well, oh, they, no. they, they matched, the pins matched multiple locations of manhole covers on the university's campus grounds, and those covers would lead to steam tunnels where Egbert could possibly be found. Note that. Uh, that phrases used here like some of the tax and not an actual map mean absolutely nothing because wow. sometimes a coincidence simply means, yes, there most definitely is a cult trying to resurrect an ancient dragon demon underneath a university. Holy moly, <laughs> They just Mark. have to roll a six. Um, yeah. <laughs> the media narrative stoked by uh, De the investigator Deer uh, turned away from missing boy and toward fantasy game actually a death trap. Since Deer, who clearly didn't understand how the game worked at all, told reporters that someone is put in the dungeon and it's up to them to get out. This guy was also pretty vocal about his belief that the boy was already dead. Even after the kid made contact informing his folks... And this guy, he was in Louisiana on one of his regular just get up and go trips. He used to wow. just do that and um, was also struggling with some personal issues at the time. 
They pretended he was asked to keep the whole D&D demon cult a secret because some people think they'll spontaneously combust when they have to admit they were wrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> Naturally, both the public and the media hysteria surrounded, uh, surrounding the whole oh, no, not another American cult event if actually gave D&D actually, if actually yeah. gave D&D some nice national attention and helped make the game more popular. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Mark, do you remember that in 79? Very vaguely, yeah. I do. Okay. That's what I was going to say. I tend, I think, I remember the story. Yeah. But I really remember how D&D, by the early 80s, I did know some people that were playing it. Right. You know, in college. But the people that were playing it weren't the people that I hung out with normally. (laughs) No. You know, so. uh, They were the kind of people that would go to Comic Con. Yes. (laughs) Right. And back then, Comic Con was not mainstream. No. You know, uh -uh. it was a very small group of of freaks and geeks and and the people the people who we knew intuitively that we would end up working for eventually but you know and they're running the world now yeah but i do remember the hysteria though i remember i I remember people getting all up in arms about it and in the church culture it was like oh this is a new thing that the the enemy has has uh has launched on america it's deceiving children and they're all believing in all this stuff when actually what they're doing is they're just playing a fantasy role-playing game right and they it's just you roll a certain number of dice and somebody tells a story and you're all just kind of playing along and it's right i I do remember mark i do remember this being debated in bible college about playing it yeah Mm -hmm. and it was and it was one of those things where they were like you know anything can be used for evil anything can be used for good it's just how are you going to use it so there you go anyway i didn't know that so look it up it's a pretty interesting story it is an interesting story liferadio.fm the mark and max show and before we really go much further okay <laughs> yeah it kind of occurs to us yeah <laughs> after we got through with the last break well we thought, we're talking about dungeons yeah, and dragons no, okay and we're thinking and, somebody's for sure going to yeah. email us and say so what are you going to talk about next the yeah. ouija board you're going to talk about you, how it's uh, it's harmless uh, no it's not no and the thing just because they sell it at walmart okay no. and i will tell you i remember when somebody said they're selling the ouija board at walmart and it became this little book monster and i'm like first uh-huh. of all don't mess with that right, second yeah. of all walmart's stupid they sell everything you yes, know it's yeah. like that can, can we make a dollar you, off of that let's sell yeah. it <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna sell a ouija board i'm not gonna play a ouija board no. i don't think you know if you you, you there are certain doors you don't open no uh-huh. <laughs> not I, gonna do um, it <laughs> no i i remember i was watching um an episode of breaking bad and which is uh, back in the day you know it was a huge hit right and they used a there was a uh, an uncle, um, uh, Salamanca, who ah, was okay. e- yeah, evil guy in a wheelchair because of a stroke. And, uh, his nephews <laughs> are coming to do his bidding and he's, you know, they're going to do, and he can't communicate. He has a bell that oh. he can ring. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah. that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was evil, but anyway, in a wheelchair, he can't communicate. Yeah. So he's got a bell. And yeah. <laughs> Wow, who the, came up with that? That's just brilliant. I'm telling you, the whole the whole the whole TV show was like that. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I'm telling you, but anyway, okay. so there the guys dinging the bell and his nephews come uh, because they're going to kill Walter White mm-hmm. and uh, he's there anyway. They're using a Ouija board to point out letters and yes, no, and things like that, and yeah. communicating with them. They're using that, and the thing is, Salamanca is in this old folks' home. 
and the cousins are the the nephews rather are looking for a game they can use to communicate with their uncle you know so they don't have to so they don't have to say anything out loud he can just ding the bell when they point at something mm-hmm. and the ouija board has yes no and letters on it and <laughs> right, numbers yeah, and everything else yeah. and so they use that to draft out this whole thing on walter white okay it, fascinating but That's my whole thing was why do they have a ouija board in old folks home man <laughs> you know you know there's a freak in there going i am the old master you know or something like that it just yeah. kind of gave me the willies man he sam passed away last week and he still owes me 20 bucks I, I i'm think talking I'm getting, to him now i'm finding out where his wallet is right now <laughs> liferadio.fm the soundtrack for your life all day long we really appreciate you joining us saw this story the other day and i thought you know why didn't this happen earlier okay (laughs) a woman is suing her boyfriend because they were together for eight years and he never proposed and i'm thinking (laughs) wait a minute mark there are some people that i know that have dated for a long time and never got married okay and i've known others who dated for a long time and said hey if it's not going any further i'm gonna go move on you know yeah because that's what you do. Yeah. But no, now apparently, if you're not on the same page with somebody, you sue them. <laughs> I don't like the way you're breathing. I'm going to sue. Jeez. No lo- no matter how long you've been together, how in love you may be, many couples often find themselves on different pages about when the right time to get engaged is. That being said, the logical thing to do is sit down with your significant other to make sure you do both want the same things? And if so, you come to a compromise on when you'll, or an agreement on when you'll take your relationship to that next level. One woman, however, has seemingly thrown logic out the window, instead opting to take her significant other to court for not proposing to her after eight years of dating. 26-year-old Gertrude Noma and Herbert Salaliki, he's 28, were together for almost a decade and even share a child together. But sadly, their relationship turned sour after Herbert failed to follow through on his promise to propose. (laughs) Feeling tired and frustrated of her other half's lack of official commitment, Gertrude decided to take her bow to court and sue him for wasting her time. Wow. (laughs) After he failed to deliver on the happy uh, happy uh, ever after she was looking for. uh, There's a news site called Tuco. They're reporting that uh, Gertrude felt as though the father of her child was not serious enough about their relationship, despite the fact that he'd paid the dowry payment to her family, as is in the <laughs> tradition in her in their native Zambia. And he had, in fact, however, not yet purchased the engagement ring. Dude. Quote, he has never been serious. That's why I brought him to court, because I deserve to know the way forward and our future, she says. This is, you know what? Back in the old days, you got your dad with a shotgun, you know, yeah. now as a lawyer and an ink pen. <laughs> That's right. Dad should have showed up. You know what I mean? Yep. He really yep. should have. He but... got the dowry. Hey, he already got his payment. He's, good. <laughs> yeah. He's got the money. Yeah. What, they, got... what those foolish kids do after that is their business. Hey, I've got I my got cash. my. I got three goats, a laptop, and a Yugo. I'm good. <laughs> He's thinking, well, if this guy flakes out, I can get money again. So is he, there you go. You know. <laughs> Keep going, girl. You go, girl. <laughs> he's what he's got, saying. Actually, what do you get down to is this. The dad's got a thriving business here. So he's got 12 daughters. and He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's making bank. It's probably his brother who's the uh, lawyer in this, you know? (laughs) Liferadio.fm, the Mark and Max show. 
Back in the day, I had a uh, motorhome. Remember my traveling? Uh, oh yeah, the, t- the, the tenement uh, on the wheels. On wheels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and back then, it was it wasn't necessarily a tenement on wheels. It was actually very nice. Yeah. But the fact that my there were only two people in our family out of all of us that liked it, and it was me and my daughter Hannah. And Hannah right. was too young to have a vote. The older three <laughs> children and Ladonna totally embarrassed by going down the road in the thing. We made one trip on it. And I ended up siphoning gas, right? I get, you know, all over. I've got, I swallowed gas. Still oh, have nightmares man. about that one. Yeah. And, and Haley, uh, fell and cut her, cut her knee. And we had to stop at an emergency room at 10 o'clock at night mm. on our way back. And anyway, the long story longer is I finally, that was the one trip we took in it. They would never get in it again. It sat in the yard here for a while. Then wow. I sat over my mother-in-law's for a while. Finally, I sold it. Wow. hate that. But because the thing is. I'm a tiny home person. I mm. like that. I like the idea that I've got a home and I've got, you know, I've got my commuting car. Mm-hmm. I can go to work. I got, I got everything right here, man. Yeah, yeah. This is like the dream come true for me. Mm-hmm. Well, the tiny <laughs> home thing that began as a motorhome or a travel trailer has now expanded into a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who've been building tiny homes and they've, their TV series is about that. And now there are people who are living in tiny little vans all Basically, over the place, traveling. Everywhere. Somebody went yeah. outside and had their lawnmower and stuff in a shed and went, uh-huh. you know what? <laughs> if I put some sheetrock in here, I could rent this out. Yeah. You know? And if I do it right, it'll never be a she shed. So, and that's exactly what they did. That's exactly it. Well, TikTok, tar, uh, TikTok star named Steph shares a video of this tiny wooden cottage that she built with her partner specifically so they could rent it out on Airbnb. This is happening in the UK, by the way. Uh, she said that the hut brings in an, an, an income of $42,000 per year. And because of the extra income, she was able to double up on her mortgage so she can pay her house off. The video proved popular on social media and soon had almost a million views alongside countless comments from people praising her for this ingenious idea. And she writes on TikTok, built a tiny home in my backyard. It grosses $3,500 a month in short-term rental income. That's 42,000 per year in the clip. Chef, uh, Steph shares a time-lapse that shows her first laying the foundations for the property before they, uh, added an outdoor de- outdoor decking, an indoor kitchen, and even a lounge. Uh, where they put it in the thing, I don't know. But Steph said that it cost her around forty-two grand to build the small shack, and she kept the cost down by doing lots of the manual labor herself. Hmm. So she's got a $42,000 investment in the place, and it makes that much a year for right. her. Which is a great deal. Absolutely. But $42,000 on a shack? <laughs> and people are going to rent it out for 3500 a month? I need okay. to see pictures. I yeah, need, I got it. I, I got to see it because people on TikTok, I know I believe them because it's on the internet and that, that means it's real. Right. Oh, yeah. All I can think of is if I built a shack in the backyard and tried to rent it out, the only the only rental I'd get would be from like goats, pigs. Dude, I'd have people be- showing up from the Jimmy Hell Mission going, <laughs> is this mine? liferadio.fm the mark and mac show with the soundtrack for your life playing all day long you know mark you have known more about phones and gadgets and everything else since the commodore 64 hit the market you've been the tech guy now (laughs) i know that when people call you the tech guy you're like no i'm not the tech guy i just know how to hook up a printer back in the day well and how to network things i'm not the i'm not the it guy i i am a tech nerd though yeah okay okay not the it guy okay but when it comes to phones 
Mark knows about every little nuance of Holy every God. little iPhone thing there is. And I'm wondering when it says people mind blown by an iPhone trick to extend battery life. Mm-hmm. Do you know of this or does it work or both? Um, I do know about it and it does work, but there is a caveat. There is a, uh, there's an, uh, Oh, you All need right. to look for. There's okay. a tech whiz who has shared this hack on the internet. Of course, he's a TikToker. goes by the handle of, uh, can sanity He's known for sharing all manner of technological tips and tricks, and his latest one is of the most important yet, and that is the much maligned iPhone battery. He's teaching people how to get more more battery time on their iPhones. In this t- tutorial, he gives a step-by-step explanation for getting the most out of your device. He says, okay, this is how you extend your phone's battery life. In general, in under general settings, you turn off background app refresh, and in under motion, you turn on reduce motion and you turn off uh, these other two. Um, by the way, motion can be found under the accessibility, accessibility options under settings. And by these two, he means he's talking about switching off the toggles next to autoplay message effects and autoplay video previews. And then the next system next is to go over to system services that's under settings and then privacy and then location services. I know, I know you're getting lost, but you scroll down in there all the way to the bottom and you see an option for system services and then you turn off location based Apple ads. And if there's an option there on your device, iPhone analytics, routing and traffic, and then finally improve maps. You turn all those little things off and your battery will last a lot longer. Hmm. And now since the video was posted, it's been viewed more than a million times. Hundreds of people piling into the comments to share their confusion. Of course, if you listen to what I just said, you're going to be confused, right? Right. Um, And then um, they're also excited because they don't have to keep their charger on them all the time. The problem with this is... That if you follow his directions, you're turning off services that are needed by your phone for certain things, like finding it if you lose it. Oh, yeah. How funny. You'll you'll use a lot less battery, but you'll lose your phone, too, because you won't be able to find it. If you've ever had to use that app. Yes. I haven't never had to use it. Oh, I've used it many times, yeah. The thing is, there are plenty of things that that are on that you get used to that become part of the functionality of the iPhone. That's why people use it. And when you start removing those functions, you may as well go and say, hey, at Cricket, I want your $25 droid, (laughs) you know? You may as well. Just go, instead of doing this, just buy a a battery case. You know, your phone's going to be a little fatter, a little bigger, a little heavier, but you'll have you'll have extra battery life if the, if it really is bothering you that much or cough up the money and buy a brand spanking new iphone pro max because those things last forever life radio.fm the market max show with a constant update on everything weird today <laughs> you know, from dungeons and dragons to the ouija board a small little house making money uh-huh. and and a battery okay a battery extension but when you see this one, okay, mm-hmm. Tropicana launches toothpaste. What? There are certain things where you go, where is the no desk? <laughs> I stop the world. I want to get off. <laughs> when you think about the flavor of toothpaste, you usually think, I don't know, peppermint, spearmint. Uh, sometimes it's cinnamon, baking soda, some combination of mint and baking soda. As adults, mint's pretty much the only flavor associated with toothpaste. This brings forth one question. Why do major brands have to mess around with a good thing? Well, 
Trump Dude, whenever I go to, whenever I get in like Braylon's bathroom and yeah. use his toothpaste and yeah. it's like bubble gum or whatever, uh, yeah. I'm like, I feel like I got to go brush my teeth after <laughs> I get to brush my teeth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Tropicana, the, the the fruit juice company, for some reason, they're launching a limited edition orange flavored toothpaste which you'll be finding in Braylon's bathroom very soon. Obviously, this is not only good news for people who like fruity toothpaste options, but also people who hate the taste of orange juice after, after brushing their teeth. Oh. Using orange toothpaste, it's a surefire way, to make, uh, surefire way to make sure your breakfast drink doesn't taste like battery acid. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. We should remind you, it's not an April Fool's Day joke. It's definitely not a joke. Nobody who puts this in their mouth will likely smile again in the near future. <laughs> it's a limited mm. edition toothpaste. Uh, it'll be available beginning November 1st to coincide with National Brush Day, which was yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, if you're the uh, kind of person who's tired of a good thing, well, here you go. <laughs> well, they announced today. And it's funny because that was yesterday. They announced yeah. today that Tropicana has a brand new uh uh, thing to uh, stick between your teeth to get the pulp out. So, <laughs> liferadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. And, you know, Mark, back in, I, I'm thinking it was 92, 93, somewhere in there, uh, John, uh, John Travolta, uh, Sylvester Stallone did a movie called Demolition Man. Did you ever see him in it the same had, room at the same time? Yeah, never. Mm -hmm. uh, but Stallone played this cop who. Uh, had chased down the bad guy back in the 90s yeah. and uh, put him away. But while he put him away, he actually killed a bunch of innocent people. He didn't. It was all set up by the bad guy, Wesley Snipes. Right. Anyway, but they didn't set this movie far enough in the future, okay? Demolition yeah, Man yeah. was not. If they'd set it 100 years in the future, would have been a monster hit. Mm -hmm. As it was, I was looking around watching this movie going, okay, so in three years' time, we're going to be living in something that could be described as South Hell? And... <laughs> We're going to come out of it five years out. You know, it just was ridiculous. But anyway, oddly enough, that's what L.A. looks like now. Yeah, it does. But, you know, we are talking many years later. Actually, yes. maybe not. Anyway, one of the things that happened is they had the franchise wars and Taco Bell won. Mm, so yeah. all of the best restaurants were Taco Bell. Exactly. And I thought that's what we have. We have now become the demolition man future. Yes, we have. <laughs> and there is a Taco Bell in Pacifica, California called the taco bell cantina it's widely known as the most beautiful taco bell in the bay area if actually man, mark according to demolition man that area is now referred to as the san angelos uh metroplex okay so, okay yeah, yeah get it right <laughs> well it may be the most beautiful taco bell in the san angelos taco <laughs> metroplex or whatever metroplex. it is <laughs> if not the world <laughs> but despite its breathtaking beachside location and taco bell's penchant for marrying people apparently they actually have a wedding chapel in vegas i did not know this <laughs> the taco bell you can get married at the wow. taco bell in vegas wow. <laughs> nobody's hosted their wedding reception there until now Annalisha Garcia and Kyle Hauser high school sweethearts from Sacramento wanted to keep their wedding low key and fun and they say when we got engaged i think we both knew we didn't want to do a big huge traditional wedding um, so Garcia says, I saw on TikTok that the Las Vegas Taco Bell Cantina does weddings. How cool would that be? We love the Pacifica location. It's beautiful. We also love Taco Bell. 
I would like to add, Mark, that these mm-hmm. people must be 13. They're from <laughs> Kentucky. They moved out there. They're, thir- they're brother and sister, okay? No, they've both been through college, and college is oh, where they met, on. and they dated in college, and, and uh, Taco Bell was kind of the center of their dating life. They, they, she says, they, Hauser says, that $5 box was too good of a deal for a college budget. It kind of became a date for us. Oh, well, my. while the ca- Vegas Cantina offers its own wedding chapel and costs and hosts more than 200 weddings a year, Gee, the Pacifico, uh, the Pacifica Taco Bell doesn't officially do weddings, although it's seen its fair share of bachelor and bachelorette parties. But when James Amon, he who oversees four different Taco Bells in the Bay Area, heard about the couple's unusual request, well, he was game. He's ready to go. He said, we're honored and we want to do whatever we can to make it special. So after a San Francisco City Hall ceremony, the bride and groom, along with their wedding guests, headed out to the Pacific Estate Beach to celebrate over some crunch wraps with preems. <laughs> Garcia wow. says, when we got there, we were totally blown away. They had balloons for us. They had all the food on trays. They were bringing out whatever we wanted and as much food as we wanted. It absolutely blew my mind. It was better than I could have expected. I think when we put Taco Bell on the invitation, everybody was a bit skeptical, says her hubby. But the overwhelming excitement of walking in and seeing how great everything looked and how amazing the weather and the staff and the food was, it was a perfect place to let loose and have fun and enjoy good company. Would like to tell this guy that Taco Bell did not control the weather. Okay, that's right. <laughs> yes, it was amazing weather, but Taco Bell didn't give you that. Also, did they give? You know, a lot of times you'll give away, you know, gifts to your, you know, the the groomsmen and things like right, that. I'm wondering yeah. at this one, do they pass out toilet paper? Is that what every guest got? Here you go. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Wow. liferadio.fm the mark and mag show and you know you can go check us out online daily podcast uh, up every day by about 10 o'clock in the morning wherever yeah. you get your podcast the in new zealand they had a bird of the year controversy which i'm gonna be honest with you mark when you scrape the bottom of the barrel for things to get mad at this, this might be it i we're having a bird of the year contest and i'm mad because my bird didn't make it <laughs> yeah. that's all i can think of this is crazy get off my lawn guy this in is- new zealand yeah, it is a little bit nuts, but keep listening. This year's Bird of the Year competition saw an unlikely winner. It captured the voters' hearts. The inclusion of this particular winner has proven to be a controversial choice, but a success for those pushing to get more attention for this particular winner that it's in serious trouble. The winner? The long-tailed bat. <laughs> they entered a bat in the bird competition. Uh-huh. It's one of only a few land mammals native to New Zealand and is best known for its small size. Controversially, the conserv- conservationist group Forest and Bird decided to include the bat in the bird contest, and it went on to win with a 3,000-vote lead. The bat, which is close to the size of a thumb, little bitty thing, and with a wingspan of about a human hand, was given its debut to raise awareness of threats they face. Speaking to Radio New Zealand's Morning Report, Forest and Birds' Lissy Fanker Heather said, This year we thought we'll try and get more people aware of bats and the threats that they face. And like many of the more traditional entrants in the competition, conservationists described the long-tailed bat as being in serious trouble, with Forest and Bird blaming a combination of habitat loss and introduced predators. Um the spokesperson adds, we thought we'll include them in the bird of the year because there's only two bat uh, species in New, in New Zealand. So having a bat of the year wouldn't have been very exciting. So there's not mm-hmm. enough bats to have a competition. There's just two duking it out year after year. Got to be really honest with you here. Yeah. 
The bird of the year ain't real exciting either, okay? <laughs> Mark and Mac mornings, only on liferadio.fm. liferadio.fm it is the mark and mag show and you know we uh, broadcast out of uh, southeast the, the southeastern part of the united states don't do this at home uh, we're professionals nope. in alabama <laughs> and but i am from southern california yeah and so i am actually from an area uh in orange county where there's placentia fullerton yorba linda in that general vicinity okay mm, yeah and whenever a story pops up because i used to ride my bike from my house uh to Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton and used to go ride right by Cal State Fullerton. And anyway, so whenever I see a story out of Fullerton, it grabs my attention. Mark. Right. And yeah. This one, all I was thinking is David and Goliath because there's a slingshot involved. <laughs> well, a man allegedly fired a shot inside his home after pointing a gun at his family. And that led to an hours long standoff in a Fullerton neighborhood early Sunday morning when police SWAT officers arrived. They threw a flashbang inside after getting no response from the man. They also flew a police drone near the house, and that prompted the guy to come outside and fire several rounds at the uh, at the, the drone from a slingshot. <laughs> he was later arrested after agreeing to surrender. Then that ended a nearly six-hour standoff. The incident began shortly after police arrived at the home near near Nep and Richmond Avenues uh, after about three thirty-six in the morning. Nothing ever, nothing good ever happens no. around that time of the morning. No. At three thirty-six in the morning, unless you're a morning person on your way to the radio station, <laughs> right. that ain't a good time. No, it's not. Somebody had called the cops to the home reporting a family disturbance. Police said the man who has not been identified, had been drinking, duh, uh-huh. and started arguing with his family early that morning. During- well, normally, you don't wake up at 3.30 in the morning and just pick a fight. You know, no, unless, no, you, you don't. Know, this that's is- not morning. This is the night before now. You know, if this- you're still up from the night before, this ain't morning. It's This night. is the continuation of yeah. the previous evening. Right. Yes, that's what this is. And during the argument, the man grabbed a gun and fired one shot. Police said they weren't sure how many people were inside the home when the shot was fired, though. They also weren't sure of their exact relationship to the man. Got a feeling that this guy thought there were twice as many as were actually there. (laughs) Probably so. Stop moving around. No, (laughs) talk about double vision, man. He's like turning. He's like closing one eye going, I don't know which drone to shoot. Which is why he couldn't hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was injured in the shooting. Officers arrived. They they got the family out, but the guy refused to come outside. Fullerton police shut down uh, NEP between Highland Avenue and Richmond and Richmond between Valencia Drive and Orangethorpe Avenue for hours Sunday morning. The standoff brought North County SWAT, an emergency team staffed by five uh, local city police departments, and campus police police at Cal State Fullerton, which at first was unable to get a response from the guy. They threw a flashbang inside trying to get him to respond and surrender. The team leader was passed out and thought he had the TV up too loud. That's (laughs) what it was. That's what it was. (laughs) I'll never watch cops again, man. This is awful. Uh, The team later flew a police drone near the house, and that's when the guy stepped outside and took a few shots at it with his slingshot. Uh, and the police said it was just a typical wrist rocket type slingshot. All the shots thought, missed. The I thought those were damaged. gone. Yeah. Dude, did you have one of those when you were a kid? Oh, absolutely. With a surgical tube. I couldn't tube hit anything, anything with it. Oh, no. Yeah. No. 
<laughs> no. They looked cool in the box and, and you, on TV commercials. If you misfired it, it really hurt. I mean, <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah. If you could pull it back far enough that you could actually hit something hard yeah. enough with it, you couldn't name it. And the ammo were these little, they were ball bearings. Remember these little yeah. ball bearings? Holy cow. You could do, if you could hit something, you could do some serious damage. And they sell them to kids. Yes. We were out. It's like, wait a minute! Stop using the BB gun to hit your brother. Yeah. <laughs> Go with the sl- the wrist rocket. See, that's the America I love. Life Radio FM, Mark and Mac show, and every now and again, okay, you see a story and you remember. Hey, when I was growing up, and we were doing Boy Scouts, Explorers, or maybe just your dad took you or your mom took you camping. Okay, yeah. They always say, beware of bears. Right. Like, if you go into an area that has bears, you hang your food and stuff, including toothpaste, even if it is Tropicana orange toothpaste, <laughs> you hang all that in a bag away from the tent because bears will do anything to get food. Yep. Now, that's not something that I would necessarily consider inside my home, Mark. No, I wouldn't think. Not in a residential that, area, no. No. Uh, no. But a California man said he returned home to find two bears were inside his house. And one of them was snacking on some leftovers. (laughs) I would worry about the third bear in the bed. That's the one I'm going to worry about. Just letting you know. (laughs) Was it too soft? Was it too hard? Or was it just right? They were snacking on leftover chicken in the kitchen. John Holden said the bear was outside uh, his Sierra Madre home when he got there. And he noticed the front door was, there was a bear out there. And he noticed the front door was wide open. He went inside and discovered that inside... (laughs) Discovered one inside, one snacking on a bucket of KFC chicken, been left on the kitchen counter. He said he was he's encountered bears outside the house multiple times, but they've never gone inside before. He says I've had a lot of other encounters with them. I've actually had them uh, had them bump into me a couple of times in the backyard, but definitely never in the house like that. That was something else, and they sure made a mess of the place. He said the bears likely had been drawn into the home by the smell of the fried chicken. He so the angles, the animals lingered in his yard for a while after he chased them outside. <laughs> Mark, I'm a little concerned about a guy who says, I've actually had them bump they bumped into, into me. him. Yes. So you're out in the yard. Is he blind? Do we not have the rest of this story? Because if I'm out in the backyard, I ain't bumping into a bear. No, not I'm not bumping into a dog. Nothing is going to surprise me. I'm going to see it coming. And if it's a bear, it's going to end up as a rug. Okay. Well, Unless it's 3.30 in the morning, and like we said previously, nothing good happens at 3.30 in the morning. You know, his mom's going, I told you to put that food in the refrigerator. (laughs) LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show where the first movie that Mark told me about (laughs) in HD, okay? Oh, yeah. Was the movie The Aviator. And I remember you telling me, hey, I went. you were at Disney or something. Yeah. You'd gone somewhere on vacation and went yeah. to a movie. It was a January. And you said, and we, we needed something to do that night. Yeah. Said, man, I have seen this movie in HD. You could tell where the makeup line was yeah. on on, uh, on Leo act, DiCaprio. On the, actor, on the actor's faces. You could actually yeah. see where the makeup ended near their hair. That was hair. crazy. It was, and yeah, so, yeah, it was crazy. And then I went and watched the movie and found out that Scorsese actually used the different period times as the color in the movie. Like when it was in the the 30s, he, you know, used the color that was possible in the 30s and matched it all up that way. It's really an incredible film. But in that movie, there were some things about Howard Hughes that came out that 
they blended a few things together for the sake of getting it into the story. But yeah. you did get a sense of who the man was. Yeah. Uh, like one of the things was talking about building uh, for the military during right. World, World War II. Right. Yeah. And the big plane, the wooden plane yeah. that he called the Hercules. Right. It was not called the Spruce Goose. No, that was the He press. got mad at that. Yeah. 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 The press called it the Spruce Goose. Uh, it was the Hughes Flying Boat, at one time the largest aircraft that had ever been built. Um, and uh, on this day in history, this is the day that he flew it. The, the only time it ever flew. It was built out of laminated birch and spruce, hence the nickname it got, the Spruce Goose. And it, it was massive. It had a wingspan longer than a football field, and it was designed to carry more than 700 men to battle. You stop thinking about how big a plane's got to be to carry 700 people. That's a big airplane, and it's made out of wood. Yeah. Howard Hughes was a successful Hollywood movie producer when he founded the Hughes Aircraft Company in 1932. He personally tested cutting-edge aircraft of his own design, and in 1937, he broke the transcontinental flight time record. In 1938, he flew around the world in a record three days, 19 hours, and 14 minutes. Following the U.S. entrance into World War II in 1941, the U.S. government commissioned the Hughes Aircraft Company to build a large flying boat capable of carrying men and materials over long distances. The concept for what would become the Spruce Goose was originally conceived by the industrialist Henry Kaiser, but Kaiser dropped out of the project early, leaving Hughes and his small team to make the H-4 a reality. Because of wartime restrictions on steel... Hughes decided to build his aircraft out of wood, laminated with plastic and covered with fabric. Although it was constructed mainly of birch, the use of spruce, along with its white-gray color, would later earn the aircraft the nickname, the the spruce uh, goose. It had a wingspan of 320 feet, powered by eight giant propeller engines. Development of the spruce goose cost a phenomenal $23 million. And in those days, that was a lot of money. Yeah. It took so long, the uh, war had ended by the time of its completion in 1946. <laughs> there you go. The aircraft had many detractors, and Congress demanded that Hughes prove the plane was airworthy. So on November, 4, on November 2nd, 1947, Hughes obliged, taking the H-4 prototype out into Long Beach Harbor in California for an unannounced flight test. Thousands well, of... Uh, hmm? Now, if you go back on this, okay, yeah. they were having hearings where Hughes yes, had been yes. publicly accused of being a war profiteer. Right. Of bilking the government out of millions of dollars while we were at war yeah and what came out was that he actually had to spend uh, of the 23 million that they spent he gave up 15 million of his own money right yeah to do this project and to finish it yeah and when they took it out okay when they took it out in long beach harbor it was never supposed to fly that day right he was it was actually a break in his testimony in washington and it was he didn't have a flight plan he wasn't supposed to fly it he was never was never supposed to yeah but he coasted it out there to yeah. they were it was just a test to see yeah. if it could you know go across the water right and but hughes knew what he was doing the whole time yeah because once it came off the ground once he proved it would fly that was it yeah. all of a sudden the hearing and everything else goes away because he already had public opinion on his side right. when they found out that he spent 15 million of his own dollars on it <laughs> yeah yep he, he got he got it seventy feet in the air above the water and flew for a mile. That's all yeah. it took. Yep, yep. He and proved it. it. He yeah. he proved it would fly. He did. And um, let's see. Despite the successful maiden flight, the Spruce Goose never went into production, primarily because critics alleged that its wooden framework was insufficient to support its weight during long flights. 
They said, all oh, this thing's going to fall apart in the air. Right. Yeah. Nevertheless, Howard Hughes, who became increasingly eccentric and withdraw- withdrawn after 1950, refused to neglect what he saw as his greatest achievement in the aviation field. From 1947 until his death in 1976, he kept the Spruce Goose uh, prototype ready for flight in an enormous climate-controlled hangar at a cost of a million dollars per year. Unbelievable. And today, <laughs> the, uh, the plane is housed at the Evergreen Aviation Museum in McMin- McMinnville, Oregon. You, want to you know, some it. of us, when I found out as a kid that he was spending a million dollars a year, you know, yeah. to keep, I tried to get my name legally changed to Spruce Goose <laughs> so I could get my million, you know? <laughs> LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Max show. You know, on the main website for LifeRadio.fm, you can uh, join us for a daily Bible reading. You can use it as a Bible study. It's reading the Bible in a year. And at this time of year, we actually do start thinking about New Year's resolutions. You know, we've gone yeah. through, you know, we, we completed 10 months of the year and we're kind of disappointed in some of the things we failed. Uh, <laughs> and so we got eight weeks out to think, well, what am I going to, what am I going to give up on the first week of January? And so as you plan on what are you going to propose to do in your life on January 1 that you give up by January 7, okay, that. <laughs> That's where most of us plan, you know, just so you know. But you made it a week. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to work out. Why don't you do it now? Why are you waiting? Well, because I'm lazy and if it makes me feel better to plan it in the future. This year, you know what, though? You plan that one on reading the Bible. Eventually, the lightning bolt's going to hit. You might either give up on that one or join us, okay? Those are your choices. Just saying. All right. Wow. Now, now, you're saying the judgment of God will fall on you if you make that commitment and don't follow it, through. Is that what you're saying? Mark, I started feeling like that. And I'm going to be honest. I started cracking it. Every, I'm like, I got to get past the seventh. I got to get past the seventh. But I, I would always get bogged down, man. It's like you get down to so-and-so. Jehoshaphat begat so-and-so who begat. Where's Jethro and Jethreen? That's what I want to see because I'm missing out on this, you know? It could be tough. It can. Yeah. But fortunately, this, this program puts you into a position where it makes it a whole lot easier because it's not just, you're not just slogging through it, through the old Testament to the end of revelation, trying to get through it. You're, you got a little old Testament, little new Testament, little Psalms, Proverbs every day. And the mix is really good and it helps you get through it. So, and it's, that's why I don't make light of it. It's just, I've talked with so many people who like me have given up at different times. And that's why it's like, look, if we can't Mark, if we can't be honest about these things, we have to pretend like we're something we're not, we're going to end up like Sheldon's mom, you know, (laughs) and is up. I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll end up as that caricature of a Christian. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's that you don't want that. So get into it. Oh, and there's an audio version too, by the way. So you can listen to it while you drive. And that's really the only thing we'd recommend listening to besides Life Radio. There you go. (laughs) Listen to the Bible. That's right. right. One of the stupidest things people do. Yes. Is they go on. uh, Well, yeah. I mean, but this is like, this is dumb on every level, Mark. I I mean, it really, it's like if we had a blue ribbon for stupid and and we're not, I'm not allowed to say that. And I apologize if you have a child under six that you're trying to prevent from saying stupid, (laughs) but here you go. A video is going around on the internet. It shows a Jeep pull up alongside a lion in the Serengeti National Park. They're out on a safari. Well, the man there then proceeds to open the car window. It's just one of those sliding windows. It slides off to one side. Despite being within spitting distance of this giant cat, and a woman leans her hand out, reaches out, and strokes the lion while the man goes to take a picture. The lion turns around to stare at the car, and a worried third passenger in the car says, close the window. 
<laughs> As the man tries to close the sliding window and fails, the unimpressed lion snaps his head around and roars at the car. The person shooting the video is so shocked he drops the camera. The YouTube account titled Maasai Sightings has labeled the video, This is the dumb is this the dumbest tourist ever? They say in the caption, a tourist decided to touch a male lion and almost got her face ripped off. This is a very dumb thing to do, and you could easily get yourself killed or banned from a national park by doing this. Unbelievable. And people do do this all the time. I know. It boggles my mind. It really does. You know, when you watch things online and you see people doing things, it doesn't mean to emulate them. You Mm -hmm. know, if they're doing something ridiculous... Go ahead and say that's. Re- I'm not. Co- I'm not going to film myself doing something this dumb. Right? Do you not realize these are wild animals that even though they're used to seeing cars and people, that they mm-hmm. still, you know, they're used to seeing cars and people, but they gather together at night and go, "Hey, tomorrow, <laughs> somebody sticks their hand out. I'm eating that for. Ha- that's lunch." And the other one goes, "Dude, no, the head. Go for the head. You know, that's what they're planning." So you just might be the guy coming through there that is they're, they're like the old cartoon guys stuck mm-hmm. on the deserted island who after two days, they look at each other. One sees a hot dog, the other sees a hamburger, they start chasing one another. <laughs> yes. That's what you are for the lion. <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. What most people don't know is that safari is an ancient, ancient Swahili word for mobile buffet. <laughs> LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac Show. You know, Mark, yes, over the last several years, we have seen stories coming out of ERs, and it makes us, us think that this is new. And I want to remind people, there were problems in emergency rooms for years, mm, yeah. okay, before the government got involved and messed with our insurance. Yeah. It was already, it was already jacked up. Yeah. And then they flooded the market, okay, mm. which made it even worse. But before the Affordable Care Act. I remember I had a friend that went to an emergency room and was there for 12 hours and was never treated because they had other priorities coming in ahead of him. And he finally left. He needed stitches, but he had been there so long that he couldn't get them, you know? So he went, he had been there overnight. He did it on a Sunday night at like 10 o'clock. The next day at 10 a.m., he's still there. So he goes, well, goes to his regular doctor. They had to scrub the wound and sew it up. Oh, Yeah. Anyway, sat in the emergency room for 12 hours. Now, I don't recall him getting billed for that. Right. I could be wrong. I hope not. I hope not. But there's a woman, um, there's a woman who went to the Emory Decatur Hospital ER in July who says she's been billed for her trip, even though she didn't get any treatment. Taylor Davis uh, said she went in for a head injury. She sat in the waiting room for hours, but with no end in sight, she decided to leave. She says, I sat there for seven hours. There's no way I should be sitting in an emergency room, an emergency room for seven hours. A couple of weeks later, a surprise came in her mailbox. It was a bill from the hospital for nearly $700. Oh, my. She says, I didn't get my vitals taken. Nobody called my name. I wasn't seen at all. She said she was convinced it was a mistake. Quote, so I called them and She said, it's hospital protocol, even if you're just walking in and you're not seen. When you type in your social, that's it. You're going to get charged regardless. (gasps) Oh, my. Yeah, so she checked in and gave them her information, and they built her. Yeah. She said it was, uh, she was told it was an emergency room visit fee for a, uh, or a faculty, a facility fee, as it is called in some cases. It's often added to a person's total hospital bill, so it might not be as noticeable as it is in this case. An wow. email sent to Davis by an Emory Healthcare Patient Financial Services employee states this 
you get charged before you're seen, not for being seen. Wow. Yeah. Davis said, unfortunately, she'll think twice before stepping foot in an ER. Now that she knows what she can potentially be charged with, she says, I'm very reluctant to go to the hospital now. That's kind of like the last resort now. Seeing that they're able to bill you for random things, it doesn't make me want to go. So that's wow. not good. Hmm. Um, Emory Healthcare says this in a, in, a, in a statement. Emory Healthcare takes all patient concerns seriously <laughs> and appreciates this has been brought to our attention. Our teams are currently looking into this matter and will follow up directly with the individual. And here's the answer. They're going to keep billing everybody until right. somebody sues them and makes them stop. That's right. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. And you know, over Halloween, Mark, a lot of people went really overboard. I guess every year it's like that, though. Some yeah, people really is. get into it. Others don't. I'm on the don't side, you know, I just, and it, yeah, I don't have anything yeah. against it, particularly. Yeah. I want the candy. I just don't <laughs> want to put in the effort because I just don't care about scary stuff. It's well, never I, been my I, thing. Well, I was shocked we had visitors. We had trick-or-treaters. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't Mark decorate to, or anything. No, what? Mark goes to the door, they're knocking, and he shows up, well, I, I got some staples here. Um, <laughs> here's a, hey, I got a paper clip for yeah, you. There you go. That's right. <laughs> Somebody wants some printer paper? This stuff's valuable. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's go, Brandon. Here you go. <laughs> At any rate, <laughs> well, a family in California, their de- uh, Halloween decorations prompted a call to 911, or actually multiple <laughs> calls to 911, about a house being on fire. But the flames and the smoke were just a, a, a festive special effect. Carmen and Travis Long drew attention to their Riverside home on Halloween when passersby confused the orange lights in their windows and the fog from a smoke machine for an actual blaze. The display prompted calls to 911 from concerned witnesses, but the local fire department was aware of the display and assured callers that it was all special effects. Wow. The reason they were, they knew it was, it was all special effects. They knew it was all just a display. It's because they did the same thing last year in 2020 and they got called last year about it. Wow. (laughs) It was a bit smaller the previous year, but still they knew Hmm. the longs said the faux fire, like the rest of their Halloween display actually was inspired by Disney's pirates of the Caribbean amusement park Hmm. ride. Um, uh, Carmen says my husband stole the idea from pirates of the Caribbean uh, at Disneyland. Uh, It's just satin cloth, an orange light, a red light and a fan. Uh, mm-hmm. the fire department said the longs have a fire alarm system in their home that will alert the department if there's a real fire at the house wow that just <laughs> the thing is you've got all these people calling nine one one, but nobody bothering to go down there to check you know <laughs> they're driving by nope yeah. not gonna stop here I'm, nope. no gonna keep okay, honey call nine one one. but i don't see anybody standing in the yard there's a bunch of kids with buckets and candy but nobody uh, wait a minute i think you see three kids running up to the house with, you know, marshmallows on a stick, you know. It's like, you know, people are dead inside, but I got my marshmallow. <laughs> LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show. And over the last 20-something years, we've talked about things we've seen on the Internet. Yeah. And I remember back in the day seeing videos of people pulling stuff out of their ears, their nose, you know, just really disgusting things. And it's not my thing. Okay. But I know that there are a lot of people online that really, they, they watch people mashing bumps and showing off weird things that come out of their bodies. And that's not my thing. Okay. It just isn't. I just can't imagine actually making an entire TV series out of Dr. Pimple Popper. 
That's the thing yeah. that bothers me. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty gross. But can you yeah. imagine if this one showed up on TV? Because yeah. I bet it did. It did I, actually. Yeah, actually, it was a TikTok video because yeah. of Which course may as it well was a, be TV now. Everything's yeah. on TikTok. <laughs> everything's. I think I think episodes of Gilligan's Island will be on TikTok. Soon. Oh. <laughs> well, a woman in Georgia was shocked that a huge <clears throat> booger. Thank you, Johnny Fever. Mm. In her nose was actually a bead that had been lodged up her nose for two decades. A TikTok video documenting the disgusting discovery has racked up over 7.6 million views. The discovery first came to light after the Smyrna, Georgia resident suffered a sinus infection earlier this year that left her nose completely congested. Hoping to get to the root of the problem, she examined her nostrils with an earwax camera and discovered a blue object (laughs) lodged in her nasal passage. Fortunately, she managed to extract what she found, and after examining the object, the memory of this bead flooded back to me, she says. I was telling my fiancé, Zach, that I remember sticking a bead in my nose as a little kid, but I didn't remember it ever coming uh, out. Wow. However, at the time, she assumed she assumed it's not a real memory, maybe something I'd seen or heard from a show or a book or something. It was only when Hamilton spotted the bead after sticking the the ear thing up her nose that she realized that it wasn't just in her head so to speak thankfully removing it went off without a hitch she says prying it out definitely hurt but not as much as you'd think and it was only for a few seconds um once it was out of that in between section i blew as hard as i could she adds as soon as i got it out i called my fiance who was just as shocked to amazed and disgusted as i was dude you're gonna how big is this girl's nose man (laughs) You got a bead up there your whole life. You don't know it. You're a little kid. You got a bead and you don't tell mom and dad. I got something in my nose. Mom and dad are taking you. And what about every doctor that looked up her nasal cavity? That's exactly what I was thinking. Exactly what I was thinking. Every doctor thought they looked in there and went, because they got the little light and the thing they stick up in there and they saw this blue thing Uh and went, hey, I guess she's an alien. She's blue. Blue on the inside. Marked her with an X and sent her on her way. Well, now that her nose is working, maybe she can smell a big lawsuit. liferadio.fm it is the mark and max show and there are stories you see and you immediately think "Uh uh-uh like it's the mouse found in the pepsi can the one that gets mike the headless chicken you know yes (laughs) where did his head go is it in the bucket i doubt Mm, it we may have found it because a south williamsport pennsylvania woman got over ten thousand shares on a facebook post after she claims she found something odd in her takeout order Brittany Paul, uh, Pulma, wow, Paul, what is it? Paul Hamus, I guess. Sure. A- anyway, Brittany says she and a friend ordered takeout from Old School Pizza Friday. Mm-hmm. After getting home, she says she opened the container and took a bite out of a wing before she noticed one of them had an unusual shape to it. She says, I turn it. I see the beak. I mm. throw it. I yelled my fiance's name and I was like, get out of here, please. She then took to Facebook sharing photos from her order of wings. She says she didn't expect it to get thousands of shares. Quote, I yeah. just feel like I should make a post about it because who finds a chicken head? I wasn't trying to slander anyone. It was just funny to me. She says she contacted the restaurant and spoke with management who offered her a refund for her order. <laughs> That's it. Oh, uh, boy. Refund. The owner of Old School Pizza released the following statement to Eyewitness News, which you 
know that was wow prepared. so this is this true is the then. legal department yeah it had to come from them <laughs> quote old school pizza deeply apologizes for the disturbing event on friday we're currently looking for the source and have been in contact with our wing provider we're trying to figure out how this could have happened with the numerous checkpoints involved we have cooked approximately three hundred and sixty-one thousand pounds of wings over the course of 12 years and this is the very first time an incident like this has happened we're working with the parties involved the best we can to rectify the issue and move forward we thank our patrons for their continued support mm. <laughs> she says she's good she's glad to have a laugh at the whole thing but she won't be ordering her wings again for a while <laughs> you're gonna tell me that all these her. people that were cooking them saw they don't bother to look at the wings yeah, yeah. you got this little beak smiling at you and you missed that <laughs> i mean do you think it was a toenail come on there's a difference between a chicken foot you know if you've got a wing and there's a face on it dude call the national inquirer you know it's never easy to eat food when it's looking back at you is no it? or when you name it Ooh. begin your day with a smile the mark and mac show weekday mornings only on life radio.fm